the year was 1660, John Bunyan refused to stop preaching the gospel. He was in England and put in prison because he wouldn't stop preaching Jesus outside of the church. Now, the Church of England did not like what he was doing, and so they told him, either you stop preaching or you go to prison. With a wife and four young children struggling to be provided for, his youngest child was blind. He had a decision to make, be quiet and take care of his family or be faithful to Jesus. John Bunyan said, I'm going to preach Jesus. He was sentenced to 12 years imprisonment. While in prison, he wrote numerous books, one of which was Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress has been translated into more than 200 languages, and it is the second most printed book of all time behind the Bible. In fact, if you have never read Pilgrim's Progress, I highly encourage you to get a translation of modern English and to read it. It's an incredible allegory. It's a story of a man named Christian who's living in the city of destruction. While he's living in the city of destruction, he comes across a book. And in this book, he learns about the celestial city. A man named Evangelist comes to Christian and tells him to follow this path. And if he stays on this path, he will end up at the celestial city. And the rest of the book is the story of the trials and the temptations and the adventures of Christian as he is working his way towards the celestial city. And every time Christian and I read this story to our children, I find myself deep within my heart rooting loudly for Christian. I see where he'll, he'll get off the trail and, and follow a temptation. And I'm like, Christian, don't do that. Don't go that way. Get back on the trail. There you go. That's a good choice. Keep going. Keep following. I know it's getting hard. Like I'm literally saying this in my heart. It's so well written that I am just urging and cheering Christian on. Don't stop. Stay on the path. Keep going. Eyes forward. Go to the celestial city. Don't get distracted. Keep going. Stay on the path. When we get to Proverbs chapter four, we see Solomon doing the exact same thing. He is urging his son, stay on the path that leads to life. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter four. I am so grateful over the last couple of weeks, uh, my family has been in quarantine uh, someone in my family tested positive for COVID and uh, was asymptomatic and by God's grace has remained very healthy. In fact, everyone in our family has been healthy, but out of an abundance of caution uh, and make sure that we did not unintentionally share anything with our faith family or with our community, we've been stuck inside of our house, kind of quarantined and God has been very gracious and I'm thankful for Rick Swing stepping up on short notice to, to preach for me on my behalf as a pastor, um, your pastor, it is a great joy and honor to be your pastor. Uh, one of the many reasons why is how well our faith family loves my family 
my daughter, Eliane, who four years ago, we got to bring her home from China. Uh, she wrote a note uh, that she did not know that I was going to read this. I just, I found, Christy found it and gave it to me. And I thought, okay, that's going to come out. Uh, and she wrote a note that says, to Westwood Church. Now she's in first grade and still working on English, but I love it. She says, I love my church. It's fun to play with, W-I-F, uh, the, the kids so much to Westwood, yay. And she said, yay, love Westwood, yay, love God. As a pastor and a dad, thank you. This is what we do as a faith family. We're investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus. And it's an honor and a joy, and I mean those two words. It's an honor and a joy to be your pastor. And as much as it was agonizing to be away from you the last two weeks, I'm grateful to God that I get to be with you here today. It was a reminder to me the gift of being together as a faith family. And for many of you online, you're unable to gather right now because of health reasons and completely understand that. Um, for the others of you who are healthy, I want to encourage you to get back into the rhythm of regathering. Uh, we're doing all of our due diligence to keep things safe, but it matters for your soul that you be in this room because watching online the last two weeks, it was good, but it's nothing like being in the room. The Lord just does something in here that is intangible, but powerful nonetheless. Uh, when we left off, the plan was uh, in the month of September to go through the book of Proverbs together. Uh, in fact, every day of the month of September, we were reading a chapter of Proverbs together with finishing on October 1st in chapter 31. Uh, we had scriptures that we memorized together and uh, quoted together in our services. But I had two messages that I'd already written and I thought, you know what, these are just burning in my soul. I've got to get them out of me. And so today is, is part one of finishing up that series called Sanity, Finding God's Wisdom in a Confused World. You and I are tempted every day to chase after the distractions and the temptations of this world, pulling us away from the Lord and from his word. We're a people who are in desperate need of hearing the voice of our Father in heaven. As our social media is distracting us, as we have a 24-7 news cycle that distracts us, as we have a hypothetical supremacy of politics within our culture, we need God's wisdom. And in order to navigate these turbulent days, these uncertain days, we need to remember we are elect exiles. We are passing through. We are not home yet. We are headed towards the celestial city. But for now, God has placed us here for such a time as this to navigate these crazy and turbulent days. But we are a people who are being prepared for a weight of glory that's beyond compare. So as we navigate these days, let's remember who we are and whose we are and where we are headed. We will see the king very soon. But while we are still here, our king offers us wisdom of how to navigate these turbulent days. And so the challenge is to walk the path of Jesus, to stay on his path. And that is what we see Solomon urging his son to do in Proverbs chapter four. Look with me in Proverbs chapter four, beginning with verse 10. The scripture says, listen, my son, accept my words and you will live many years I'm teaching you the way of wisdom. I am guiding you on straight paths. 
When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Don't let go. Guard it, for it is your life. Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass it by. For they can't sleep unless they have done what is evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. In life, there are two paths to take. One path leads to life. The other path leads to death. And in Proverbs 4, Solomon is pleading. He is begging for his son to take the path that leads to life and to stay on it for life. Notice the two paths. We see them right here in the text. The first is the path of the wise. It's the path of the wise, the path of wisdom. This is so significant. Solomon pleads for his son to, verse 10, listen to my words. Now, if you're a parent in here, you know exactly what Solomon's doing here. You want your child to listen to you, which is a great feat in and of itself, okay? It just seems like as children, we just tune out our parents at some point. It's like, ah, you, you, like they turn teenagers and they're like, what are you talking about? You don't know what, what? Solomon's like, listen, grab hold of this. Son, listen to what I'm telling you. He's telling him, I'm teaching you the path of life. I'm guiding you where you need to go. Kind of like a father who's looking over his child's shoulder and speaking into his ear saying, this is the path you need to go. Here's what's coming your way. This is how you navigate these turbulent days. We see him just saying, listen, hold on to this instruction and never let go. In verse 13, we see the word take hold. That word take hold, it means a death grip. We see the same word used in Genesis 19 when the angels of the Lord show up to Lot in his family before judgment falls and God brings fire and sulfur from the sky upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel of the Lord take hold a death grip on Lot and his family and rush them out of the city. Life and death are at stake. Here Solomon uses the same word and he's saying, son, take hold. Life and death are at stake. Grab hold of this truth. This is the wisdom of God. This is the path you take. If you get off the path of God, it leads to destruction. Stay on the path. So beloved, I say to you, 
grab hold of the truth of God. His path, stay on it. You're going to be tempted to veer to the left or veer to the right, to get away from Christ and the call he's placed upon your life. Grab hold of his instruction. Why? Verse 13, for it is your life. This is your life here. Parents, as you are discipling and investing in your children, you do so with urgency. Life and death are at stake. And if people choose to walk away from Christ and his path, destruction awaits. So what we do is we teach with urgency to grab hold of the truths of God and his word. Solomon here is admonishing his son to guard his instruction. Beloved, there is an urgency in your obedience to Jesus. If you get off of his path, don't be surprised that your life turns to chaos and you're headed towards death. Get on the path of Christ and his path leads to life. You see, wisdom is found in a person and walking his path. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the greater and true King Solomon. And he calls those who follow him to get onto his path, to grab hold of his instruction and to never let go. You see, when you follow Jesus, you are walking the path of the wise. But secondly, what we see here in the text is we see the path of the foolish. Solomon goes from encouraging his son to walk the good path of wisdom to warning him of the danger of walking away from the spiritual, the, the straight path. He's stay away from walking the path of the wicked, the path of the, the foolish. Notice the verbs he gives. Verse 14, keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of the evil ones. Verse 15, avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away, pass it by, get out of there. Like vomit on the shopping mall floor, avoid it at all cost. You see, if you surround yourself with foolish people, if you listen to the advice of fools, don't be surprised when you're headed towards destruction and death. You see, wisdom runs away from wicked people and their evil schemes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Have you ever seen someone do something and you just thought to yourself, how can someone do something so evil? How is that possible? Well, for some, they're verse 16. They don't sleep unless they have done wrong. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. Boy, the Bible is true, isn't it? It's very honest in its truth-telling here. God's word does not paint a pretty picture of the human condition apart from Jesus. The depravity of some is so great that they are like Israel in the book of Judges. They do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. And beloved, that's the culture in which we're now living. We live amongst people who do what is right in their own eyes. They do what they think is right. They, they eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. And it's the path of foolishness and it leads to destruction. 
It leads to ruin. But Solomon then closes out this section here by comparing the path of the wise with the path of the foolish. This is so good here. The path of the righteous is verse 18. It's like a sunrise. I love that. You see, at first there's a little bit of light, but by midday it's bright. The whole earth is is filled with the light. This is a picture of our walk with Jesus. The longer you walk on the path of wisdom, the brighter it gets. You see, verse 18 is a picture of progressive growth in wisdom. Verse 18 is a picture of sanctification. All right, big word, don't be scared of it. Sanctification means the process of becoming more like Jesus. You see, the moment you believe the gospel, when you put your faith in Jesus, you experienced justification. You were justified. You were made right with God. It's a one-time event, and we're going to unpack this more next week, in which you are made right with God. It's a permanent standing. Your position before God, you are perfect and righteous and holy through faith in Jesus. But once you put your faith in Christ, whether you're a six-year-old at VBS, a 12-year-old at summer camp, an 18-year-old in a dorm room, a 25-year-old driving down the street, maybe you're 75 years old sitting in church, the moment you believe the gospel, you're justified, but then God puts you in a process of helping you become more like Jesus. It's, a, it's called sanctification. Over time, you look more and more like Jesus. In fact, proof of your salvation is that over time, you look more and more like Christ. Well, that's what verse 18 is pointing us to, is we see as new believers, the light in our life is very dim. We've got a long way to go. We don't look a whole lot like Jesus when we first come to know Christ. But then the longer we walk with Christ, it's like the shining of the sun at noonday. There is a growth in wisdom. There is a growth in becoming more and more like Christ. You see, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more that you daily deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him, the more you surround yourself with wise, godly people. The more you surround yourself with people who tell you the truth, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. The more that you surround yourself with people who speak words of life and encouragement and gospel truth into your life, the more you grow, the more you become more and more like Christ. And then over time, you begin looking a whole lot more like Jesus. You don't lose your temper like you used to. You take joy in taking out the garbage because it's a way you can bless your spouse. You begin working hard in the classroom and seeking to get good grades because you know that, man, I get to honor God with my classwork. When you go to work, you see it as worship. That when you live a life at work of integrity and kindness and precision, you're tactful, you're truthful and honest. When you live out the gospel at work, it is worship. You realize that worship is not constrained to a Sunday morning in a room, but it's all of life as you honor Jesus in every facet of your marriage, your family, your community life, how you engage your business. You begin growing in the understanding of the knowledge of Christ and he infects every part of you. For teenagers, they don't talk back to their parents like they used to. They begin trying to be kind and respectful. There's a growth in the gospel in which Jesus changes us. That's what we see here. When you walk in wisdom, there is a growth of becoming more and more like Jesus. But this is not so for the wicked here. 
What we see here in the text is they keep messing up, but verse 19, they don't know why. They, keep go, they, they can't grab hold of why drugs continually keep destroying the relationships in their life. They can't understand how their porn addiction is messing up their marriage. They can't figure out that their own laziness is why they can't keep a job. They can't figure out why they continually keep going back and making the same foolish decisions over and over and over again. And they try to cover it up. They'll try to cover it up with a word like, I've got a disorder, or I've got a, I've got a disease, or I'm someone who just, it's not my fault, right? They don't take responsibility for their actions. Solomon says, that's the way of fools. It's a deep darkness that leads to death, and they can't find their way out. Question, is that you? Are you someone who blames others for decisions that you have made? Question, are you someone who manipulates people for personal gain? Are you someone who is quick to anger and violence? Are you someone who spews cursing out of your mouth and you seek to hurt people? If so, repent. Turn away from that. Run to Jesus. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that this is why Jesus came. It's not because we're good. It's because we're evil. And we are dead spiritually and we need to be made alive. And so when you come to the point in your life when you turn away from sin and you trust in Jesus by faith, he transforms your heart. You become a new creation in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus came to do. He died on the cross for your sins. He gladly gave his life. He died in your place. And through his death, he made a way for you to be forgiven forgiven of all of your sin, you're set free from your past. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to set you free and he didn't stay dead. For three days after he's put into the tomb, he comes back to life. He physically, bodily defeated death, offering eternal life to anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him by faith. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You are forgiven and free and clean when you believe the gospel. Today, come to Christ. Believe upon Jesus. He will receive you. He knows your past. He knows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet the gospel is for you. It's for sinners like me and you who know what it's like to walk in foolishness. But we find Christ, we walk in wisdom. How do I know this is true? I've experienced it. I used to be a fool who walked in selfishness and pride and arrogance. And then I realized I was headed for destruction. But then I met Jesus and he changed everything about me and he will change everything about you. Believe the gospel. Trust in Christ. He will receive you. Do not walk the path of foolishness Turn and trust in Jesus and you walk his path and you will find a path that leads to life. But Kenneth, how do I do that? How do I practically walk in wisdom? How do I walk this path that is straight and pointing me to Jesus? Well, that's what we see in the next part of the text. We see the practical application of how you and I can live out the wisdom of God. 
In verses 20 through 27, Solomon lays out for us how to walk in wisdom. And he does so by making reference to the human body. He points to different body parts and says, this is what this looks like practically. This is how you go and live this out. I want you to see first, before we get to the different body parts, it begins here. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. Verse 23, Solomon says, guard your heart above all else. For it is the wellspring, it is the source of life. Now, he's not talking about the muscle inside of each of us right now that's pumping and giving off blood. That's not the heart he's talking about. Rather, it's the seat of the mind, of the emotions, of the will that is inside of you. This is where you make your decisions. It's the heart Your heart's the source from which everything else flows. And as we're going to see in just a minute, every other part of our life flows from the heart. And Solomon is saying here, like a night watchman on a wall, diligently surveying the landscape, the horizon, protecting the city from the enemy's attack. We are to be watchmen on the wall of our own hearts. We are to be guarding it, protecting it from the danger from the outside. And you see, God who made you and loves you and knows you better than you know yourself is here telling you how you function. And he's saying, listen, I need you to guard your heart because with If someone gets the heart, they get your life. This is why when Jesus gets your heart, Jesus gets your life. It's right here. This is what God's after here. If you get the heart headed in the right direction, so is the rest of our lives. But this is key. This is why the gospel is not about behavior modification, but heart transformation. You see, religious behavior does nothing but send moral people to hell. Good behavior does not save. If your good works and my good works were enough to save us on the last day, then Jesus died for nothing. But the reality is, apart from him, we have nothing. Our good works, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. And you know what would happen? If we are the ones who worked our way to heaven, we would be the ones who would steal the glory. We would boast about how moral we are. We would boast about how good of a person we are, how truthful we are. We don't do certain things that everybody else does. We would begin boasting in ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, if we earned it ourselves, we would boast in ourselves. But you see, the gospel is not about behaving better. It's about surrendering your life to Jesus who transforms your heart. The heart is the source. That's why if you win the heart, you win the life. And this is what God offers you in the gospel. The Lord pointing forward to the future in Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now notice here, the heart change comes before obedience. Listen to that, don't, I gotta say it again. Heart change comes before obedience. You don't obey to get God to like you. That's not how it works. God shows you his love and you want to obey. That's how the gospel works. He changes your want to. He changes your heart. He's not interested in outward religion from a heart that is separated from obedience and joy in him. He wants your heart. But if he has your heart from there, he can use you to impact people for Christ. But you see, if you look at your life and you see chaos, you see foolishness, you see things falling apart, it's because you've got a heart problem. It's right here. This is the source. So from the source, this is where we see the rest here in the text. This is what we are to do. This is how we stay on the path. Number one, watch what you hear. Watch what you hear. Verse 20, Solomon tells his son, listen closely to my sayings. Some of your translations might say, turn your ear to my sayings. If you want to walk the straight path, pay attention to what you listen to. If you're following the advice of the wicked, if you're standing in the path of sinners, if you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, if you heed the guidance of the world, if you adhere to false teachings that contradict scripture, you're gonna find yourself walking in foolishness. So what are you listening to? Better yet, who are you listening to? If you're allowing the mainstream media to be the primary source of what you listen to, if you listen to health and wealth preachers, if you listen to the advice of the world, don't be surprised when you veer far off away from Jesus. Make sure what you are taking in here is true and right and pure and aligns with Scripture. What kind of shows are you watching? Is there language being said that's going into your ears? Movies that you're watching, how's the language? Songs that you listen to, podcasts that you listen to. What are you taking in here? Because what you take in here will affect what you think, which then affects your heart, which affects your life. It matters what you hear. Before I knew Jesus, I used to listen to a form of music that was laced with inappropriate, vulgar language. And even to this day, I have to put to death the lyrics of former songs that I used to memorize as, by heart as a teenager. Because I listened to a lot of stuff that got into my mind that affected my heart. The same is true for you. We must be on guard. Watch what you hear. But secondly, watch what you say. Watch what you say. Verse 24, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Jesus said that what comes out of your mouth is an overflow of your, your heart. Luke 6, 45. Jesus says a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. If you find cursing coming out of your mouth, your response is not, pardon my French. It's not, it's just a habit or I can't control it. No, you have a heart problem, Jesus says. 
If what comes out of your mouth is dirty, it's because you have a dirty heart. So how do you fix it? It's not behavior modification. You need a new heart. And so when you trust in Jesus, he changes your heart, which then overflows into a changed way of speaking. We talked about this a few weeks ago. As the people of God, we're to be truth tellers. We speak the truth. Proverbs 21, 23. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. You see, when our hearts are postured humbly and submissive to the Lord, filled with the Spirit, He changes how we talk. I speak differently now that I follow Jesus. Before I knew Christ, Horrible, ungodly things used to come forth out of my mouth. But now that I have Jesus, he's changed my heart. He's changed the pattern of speech. Question, is that true for you? If not, look to Jesus. Ask him for grace to say, Lord, give me a a pure heart so I might speak true and pure words. Thirdly, watch where you look. Watch where you look. Verse 25, let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Solomon here is calling his son to fixing his eyes and not being distracted. Growing up in Kentucky, uh, I got to be around racehorses quite a bit. And racehorses have these two um, plastic, sometimes they're rubber um, pads that go right here. And they're called blinders. And the purpose of blinders is to prevent the horse from being distracted, from being spooked, by what's going on to the side, but it also helps the horse to concentrate and focus on what's directly in front of it. This is what Solomon is calling his son to. Fix your eyes forward. Don't get distracted by the things around you. As temptation comes your way, you might be looking other places. No, 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 no. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. If the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Solomon's dad didn't do this. Remember when David was up on his rooftop, should have been at war, but he was at home, lazy, wasting time, and he's up there and he's looking out and surveying the land, and who does he see? His eyes go to Bathsheba, who's taking a bath on a rooftop, and then comes adultery, then comes murder, then comes judgment. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Question, have you allowed your eyes to wander? Have you taken a second look at that woman who walks by? Are you staying on that screenshot of that picture of that woman? Do you have covetous eyes upon what that person is wearing or what they're driving? Keep your eyes forward. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Job 31.1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I look at a young woman? May I say to you, make a covenant with your eyes. Fix your eyes forward upon Jesus. So Solomon references here in the text, ears, verse 20, mouth, verse 24, eyes, verse 25, and then he concludes with feet. Watch where you go. Watch where you go. Verse 26, carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Watch where you go. 
If you find yourself heading into places you don't need to be, it leads to destruction. So stay away. Keep your heart pure before the Lord. Walk in wisdom. Stay on his path. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And very few find it. Let us be a people who walk the straight, narrow road towards Jesus, which is the impact point, which is this. Walk the path of wisdom with Christ and you will find life. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. Until that day in which we go to glory, we keep walking the path of wisdom with Christ. Because reality is, we're headed to the celestial city. We are going to go see the king. And we have a savior who is interceding for us right now, right? He's interceding for us. We have Hebrews 11, a great cloud of witnesses who are watching us, rooting us on saying, keep going. Don't get off the path. Keep going. Head towards the celestial city. That's a trap. Don't go there. It's a temptation. Don't keep following Jesus. Keep following Christ all the way until we get to the celestial city. We get to be with our king forever. How do we get there? We walk the straight path of wisdom. And that path leads to life.